welcome to another episode of One More Thing Podcast. It is a podcast where we talk about television shows and we are your hosts, Davlin and Jordan. Hey guys, happy Labor Day. Well, when this happened. Yeah, this, we we recorded this on Labor Day. So, so yeah. Um... So today or this evening or this morning or whatever you're, you know, whenever you're listening to this, our episode is going to be Unsolved Mysteries. Yes, this is my first time getting familiar with the series, but um, Davlin says that she's been watching since she was little. Yeah, yeah. I think Unsolved Mysteries is like one of those shows like if you spend a lot of time with like your grandmother <laughs> and um <laughs> and they like them and so you kind of get swept up into that and I was born in the 80s and nobody cared about you when you were born in the 80s like you just you know you're just kind of there to fend for yourself so that theme. So yeah, uh, Unsolved Mysteries is it was a popular show in like the eighties and I think the early nineties. I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, um, and it was hosted by. I had the link and then I lost the link. It was hosted. By a man, <laughs> a white man. Um, oh, here we go. Here we go. The 87 Robert Stack. That's right. It was hosted by Robert Stack. And I don't know if anybody's listen. if anybody that's listening to the podcast knows who Robert Stack was, but he was like in one of those old Hollywood actors and he was in like a bunch of films and he was in the movie airplane. Um, if that helps, I know we have some, some theater babies, uh, that listen. So yeah. Um, it's Robert Stack. So anyway, that was the season that I remember and they used to have the craziest episodes because it would be episodes where people were like kidnapped by UFOs and that was the first time I had ever actually seen a UFO and they made those shits so scary looking (laughs) on Unsolved Mysteries it was like absolutely terrifying like people were talking about how they got kidnapped by (sighs) UFOs and they were experimented on mm-hmm. and and like probed and stuff and the thing was like it was basically I think the reason why a lot of us people that spend a lot of time with like older adults in our lives they would let us watch it because the show used to be a cautionary tale for us like if you go out there and you go in the woods hunting for shit you ain't got no business you might get kidnapped and we'll never find you again and I mean obviously <laughs> blame the kidnapper not the kidnappee but right. you know how that goes 
<laughs> you know how that goes. But yeah, right. it's it was a, it was a really really popular show in the late eighties, early nineties. And, um, and yeah. when um, Devlin suggested that we talk about it, I had just read the what you call it the title, and I saw like kind of the the overview of the show, and I initially thought it was a true crime um, show, which. <laughs> both me and Devlin are very into uh, hopefully mm-hmm. we can talk more about true crime series or something cause I'm like mm-hmm. low key obsessed sometimes I'd be at work <laughs> and listening to shit I have no business listening to Good just really calm and serene <laughs> but, um, but you know yeah. what though they're really mm-hmm. soothing yeah for some reason I don't know why I um, can't explain it yeah, if you guys um, know of any true crime podcasts that are hosted by people of color, please, please um, tweet us with the, the name of the podcast, because I would like to hear it, because most of these true crime po- podcasts are hosted by uh, Yakubians, and that doesn't sit right with me, because y'all are the main offenders, usually, so <laughs> it's kind of like y'all are... Never mind. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I would like it, the perspective of people of color because we're usually the victims of, you know, said crimes. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, it, there is some true crime, of course, it's, uh, it's self explanatory, they're unsolved mysteries, but there's also something else in there which I was quite surprised about and it was I think one of the most interesting episodes of the I guess the season yeah it was pretty wild Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we'll go ahead and get started and uh, episode one is called mystery on the rooftop um like I said I'm a true crime fan so this is not the first time I've heard of this um, particular case uh, with Ray um, his name oh, what's his name? yeah Ray his name is Ray um, he uh, he suffered a very um, you know untimely and very gruesome death uh, but it's one of the most puzzling um, cases for the season to me because a lot of things just don't add up but um, I'll go ahead and get into that uh, we'll start off with how the episode um, kicked off and it was Allison his wife and Ray getting married in Puerto Rico um, Ray was a pretty big guy uh, he was like 6'5 and 250 pounds um so he was like a pretty hefty guy you know um and uh he played uh water polo in college and um i'm just talking about his stature because it'll be prevalent later on in the case (laughs) but um his dream was to be a writer and a director um in the film industry and um him and his wife lived in Southern California, um, but uh, 
a friend of his, Ray, his name, um, his name was Porter. Um, mm-hmm. He called, he called Ray and um, he asked him to um, move to Baltimore um, to work for him, basically, at a finance firm that he um, was the CEO of. And, um, you know, Ray really had plans to be in the film industry, but, you know, it was his friend calling from college, his best friend, I believe. Yeah, his best friend. And they wanted him, you know, to work there. And he took the job as a writer, writing um, financial investment letters uh, for the company. And, you know, him and Allison agreed that they would just move to Baltimore and, um, you know, kind of save up money. And then once, you know, they uh, made the money they needed or, you know, whatever, uh, they were going to move back to California so Ray can pursue his actual dream. And um, on May 16th, 2006, Allison had a business trip to um, attend to. And... um, she had left for her job. She drew, I mean, not drew, she drove and, um, she drove, <laughs> she drove. <laughs> and then, um, when she got to her destination, um, Allison, which was a house guest, uh, um, in Ray and Allison's, um, home, her name was Claudia. She uh, was Allison's coworker. She called her and um, and she was like, you know, Ray had gotten a phone call and he left in a hurry after receiving said phone call. That's what Allison had heard from her room. Her room was right next to Ray's um, office where he, you know, usually uh, wrote his articles for work or you know worked on his scripts or you know so on and so forth and. Um, no, Claudia was like, um, um, told Allison, you know, he's still not home. Like, he's been gone since the morning. And Allison was like, you know, that's really strange because she couldn't get a hold of him either. That's why um, she was talking to um, Claudia in the first place. So she um, left her business trip and drove back home. And, um, you know, she went through the house calling out for Ray and he's not there and it was very late so um, she got like this bad feeling so she called um, Ray's family to tell them that she hasn't talked to him and he's basically missing and you know they all all of Ray's family flies into Baltimore um, and they along with Allison they start to investigate uh, um, trying to find a Ray, you know, they start making phone calls to hospitals to see if maybe he was hurt, you know, police stations, just in case, and right away, like, they start making missing posters, you know, they didn't miss a beat, like, they didn't hesitate at all, because uh, this behavior's um, not quite like Ray's, um, you know, normal schedule, or, you know, just the way he acts, so, um, and Allison's uh, parents also uh, fly in um, looking for Ray. And um, Allison's parents are actually the ones that who go on a drive to see maybe if they could find Ray's car. 
And for some reason, they pull into this parking lot outside of a hotel, and they find Ray's car. And um, you could tell it had been there for a while because it had a ticket on it, a few tickets, I believe, because um, it was there for, um, you know, you pay your the amount of time you're supposed to be there at the parking lot. And, you know, if you ever exceed it, you get a ticket, of course. So um, it had been there a few days, and it was six days exactly since the day it was found. Um, the parking area was near the Belvedere Hotel. Um, so, you know, they look through the car and they don't find anything. Um, but then um, on May 24th, which is a few days after um, when Ray initially went missing, um, someone had found a hole in the roof of the Belvedere Hotel. And um, they also found uh, his raised flip-flops on top of that roof where the hole was. So, you know, the people who discovered um, that hole, they called the police because they found Ray's body um, where that hole was made in that. I believe it used to be a racket ballroom for the hotel. So the employees found his body there and they called in the police. And of course, the police get to the scene and it was apparent that Ray had been there quite a bit of time. Uh, the decomposition of the body was, you know, very extreme. Um, about eight days. So um, that had affected the way um, you know, they were able to get evidence or try to find uh, the cause of death and things like that. But we'll talk about that later down um, the line. But um, his body had a lot of injuries, you know, multiple rib fractures, fractures to the femur. You know, his legs were like in really bad shape. And um, he had protrusions of his bones, like, you know, they were sticking out from the injury sustained. Um, and according to the uh, medical examiner, the injuries sustained didn't uh, match up with the theory that he had fallen from a very high level. Because um, from, you know, just seeing the hole and, you know, his body at the bottom of that hole, people just assumed that he had jumped from a certain point. So... Um, that's the initial um, theory that the police came up with. You know, he um, probably, you know, committed suicide. That was their first initial thought. But like I said, the injuries didn't really match up with that. Um, but um, the detectives, you know, started to investigate more. And they noticed that the hole was very, very narrow, very small. You know, and mm -hmm. like I said earlier, Ray is a very big dude. So they said that he had, he would have just barely been able to get through that hole. So it was strange that that hole was there and, you know, him at the bottom of that hole. And the first theory was that he jumped off or pushed off from the very, very top of the Belvedere Hotel but that was proven impossible because just like the structure and the of the hotel of the roof 
there's no way he could have jumped off from the very top. You know, the physics and just the angles just weren't, you know, um, possible because it wasn't built in that manner. Um, and he was also wearing flip-flops, so just the thought right. of you trying to make that long-ass jump down there... Didn't make any like, sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if, you know, as you were watching, you could see... Even as big as he was, as athletic he was, he you know he played water polo. It's just there's zero way he could have jumped from up top there. Um, and also, Allison had um, mentioned that Ray was like deathly scared of heights. Like he wasn't scared of a lot, but he did not fuck with heights like at all. So, you know, it is very unlikely that someone who's scared of heights would choose to uh, commit suicide in that manner. Because um, I'm scared of heights, too. I wouldn't, you know, do that. I, would, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, think of something else or something. But, uh, yeah. So, um, so that was, you know, ruled out. But the second theory was maybe he had jumped from the parking garage that was Nick located next to the hole it's a it's much closer um but it also just physics wise and you know um angles and measurements it just was very very unlikely as well um from the parking garage down to um the hole it was only a 20 feet uh fall only 20 feet in distance and just um to compare it to the um, injuries that he sustained, it just, you know, wouldn't seem likely. Like, his injuries were very, very severe. And 20 feet fall, um, you would get um, pretty messed up, but not in that manner. So that was ruled out. And then the third theory is that maybe he jumped off. The, from the ledge of the Belvedere Hotel. So not necessarily on top of the roof, but like where the windows of um, the rooms were. But that seemed very unlikely as well because the ledge of that, you know, the windowsill or whatever, super, super narrow. And like I said, Ray is a very, very big guy. So he would literally have to be like a cat for him to you know, get on that ledge and jump off. So, you know, honestly, it's a huge, just, like, mystery. Like, how how did he get through that hole, first of all? hole was super small, so there's no way... I don't know. It was very, very strange. Just nothing really clicked for me. Um... And also, um, when you fall from a very high distance, whatever, you know, um, things you you have on your possession, like um, his glasses and um, his phone were found, and his glasses were like, had zero scratches on them. They were like in perfect condition. How is that possible if you fell? Or you jumped wherever from. How is your body all, you know, banged up severely, but then your glasses are 
in perfect condition. So it and um, so it seemed like staged, like some you know, they put his glasses right next to his body or something like that. Like it's very strange. And then um, also his phone, I believe. Yeah, his phone was also on his position, and it was in pretty good condition. Nothing that would suggest that he had fallen with the phone on him. Um, Which so, is also strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just, it seemed very, like, staged, just like, Mm-hmm. Like, let's put this impossible. here and put this here and make it look like, you know, if he fell, this fell out of his pocket. Because everybody knows nowadays, because um, this was not that long ago that this happened to Ray, but everybody mm-hmm. knows that nowadays these phones are literally like plastic. Mm-hmm. You can drop your phone from your pocket standing and it shatters. The, com- mm-hmm. the screen will completely shatter. Mm-hmm. So that was a red flag to me when I was watching the episode. Because I was just like, how come nothing is messed up? Except for his body. That makes sense. Yeah, his like his body was severely banged up. Like, when I read the ME report, I was like, oh my god, like. Mhm. When you read the report, you're like, "Yes, this is this matches yeah. up with a somebody jumping off a very very high um, position, very high place." But it is just physically impossible for him to jump from the places that are available to jump if that makes sense right the parking no garage, it does yeah the parking garage um he would have sustained some injuries but not as severe as what his the way he was found and on top of the rooftop just there's there's no way you would have to be like i don't know like it's Spider-Man. ridiculous yeah or like mm-hmm. and then the ledge um mm, Highly unlikely as well. It was very a uh, narrow ledge, uh, so like nothing. It's very very confusing to be honest. Um, and um, also, it doesn't seem likely he jumped off of anywhere off the hotel because that was that hotel is set in a pretty active neighborhood. And um, that hotel is, um, you know, the Belvedere, so it's very active. There's a lot of people coming in and out. And, you know, when you jump, you just don't jump in silence. I mean, there's, you may see People are going to know. Right. Yeah. Um, and like I said, those rooms are usually occupied. Somebody would have saw something, heard something. So the fact that um, nobody saw him is also strange because... Um, his brother tried to like just like waltz into the hotel and try to get on top of the rooftop or you know the places where it was likely that he had maybe jumped and it was not an easy task like you just can't get up to the rooftop if you wanted to like of course you need keys and so and so you know you have to have access so 
it was just very strange and um you know the police try to get uh footage from the Belvedere cameras um but coincidentally the <laughs> cameras from the rooftop were disconnected they weren't working on the night of Ray's death I don't know if that's just a coincidence or maybe they just the cameras don't work period they never have they just have them there for show or whatever but even with all this evidence that just doesn't you know click or match up um the police wanted to uh rule race death as a suicide you know and uh, nobody uh that knew ray it was convinced of that you know um and more than anybody more than anybody allison was very um unconvinced and she went to go talk to the medical examiner who um, did, uh, you know, raise autopsy. And um, she said that the way the shins were broken was not consistent with a fall. As, you know, they tried to mention of, you know, they try to rule his death as. And, you know, the uh, medical examiner ruled Ray's cause of death as undetermined. So basically, she can't say whether it was an accident, you know, a homicide. Basically, they're just unsure. So, you know, they left it as undetermined. And um, according, um, I think, to the reporter that was, um, that was on the episode, they said that uh, if a death is undetermined um ruled as undetermined you cannot close the case and you know um so that gave uh, Ray's um family a little bit of hope because the police were already basically ruling it as a suicide you know they weren't just um, they weren't really interested in further investigating I guess and um Allison uh, you know, she was determined to, you know, find evidence, and she, um, went through the house, you know, basically ransacked it and, you know, turned it upside down to see if she could find anything to, um, you know, help her find out the truth, and, um, when she was in Ray's office, uh, she found a note taped on the back of Ray's computer. Uh, the note was kind of strange, but it wasn't a suicide note, like, just clearly, you know, um, stating that Ray was going to take his life. But um, from the note, there was a lot of names of movie stars and, you know, um, random quotes. And just really, and this, like, cryptic quote, like, it was just really, really strange, but... Um, I don't think necessarily anything alarming, like, um, since he wanted to be, um, you know, in the film industry, I just thought maybe, I don't know, like, he left it there for, I don't know, some movie stuff, you know, sometimes I look at my notebooks and I have, like, notes written down and they don't make sense, but I mean, at the time they made sense, so I just, that's how I you know, I saw it, but, um, she, 
took it to the police anyway, just in case, you know, it could have been written, like, in code or something like that. Um, but, you know, the FBI looked at it, um, and they didn't find anything. They were like, you know, it's, you know, what we all thought, you know, it's strange, but it didn't really have any intentions. Um, but, um, you know, Claudia, which was the house guest, which is the one that told um, Allison that Ray had left early in the morning in a rush, um, she said that she heard him in his office um, and he was working and he received the phone call and he talked, you know, whatever for a brief moment, but the end, at the end he just said, oh shit, and like left in a hurry. Like, he just, after that phone call, he, like, scurried out, basically. And, um, the police trace that phone call from his workplace, um, which is, uh, Stansberry and Associates, where, um, his friend, uh, got him that job, um. Oh, it's about to get juicy. Yeah. This is where it gets juicy. <laughs> right. That's his where I was like, Okay. So, mm-hmm. I know, mm, yes. But anyway, there was, you know, <laughs> the police know that the call came from Stansbury and Associates, but there's no way to trace where the call came from because the call came from a switchboard, which couldn't connect to a direct extension, you know, which is really frustrating because we know that Ray talked to somebody from the firm but we don't know exactly who because of the switchboard, you know. Um, when um, the police had initially found Ray's body, uh, of course, they went to his workplace because that's where he works. So, they, tr- you know, they're trying to inquire, you know, um, you know, just more information so they can get a better lead. But his workplace or, you know, whoever is in charge over there, I'm guessing Porter... They put a gag order on all the employees and got the lawyers involved. You know, this is, you know, allegedly according to the documentary. So basically, none of the employees from the firm where Ray works could talk to the police, which is very strange. Um, If one of your employees died mysteriously, and all of a sudden, you put a gag order on everybody saying they can't talk to the police. That doesn't look good on you, the firm. Like, wouldn't you want to? Something is fishy. Mm-hmm. So that, and it's even more fucked up because Porter is Ray's alleged best, best friend. His best friend, Yeah. And all of a sudden, even he didn't want to talk to the police. He got lawyers involved, which, you know, I get it. Uh, But mm, either way, it doesn't look good. You know, you're his friend, his boss, and you're putting this gag order. Nobody can help the police, you know, try to solve this, you know, this, you know, death. Um, We can't call it a murder because... But, I mean, it doesn't look good. Um, And, you know, he didn't want to talk to Allison. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's really weird. I think he was, like, 
and Ray's wedding party. So it's like, wow, you really don't want to talk to the police or, you know, provide more information to solve your friend's death. Okay. So, of course, the police were like, hmm, uh, this is interesting. We're going to uh, look into this. So, um, they find out um, that the firm um, has his newsletter um, about, you know, finances and how they're going to rebound and the way that things are going to look as numbered things. You know, just things that a finance firm talks about, whatever. And Ray was a writer for that. And, um, you know, that newsletter would write about, you know, stock tips to their... Um, what is it called? Their... Not patients. Their clients. Yes, there we go. <laughs> and um, <laughs> in one newsletter, they wrote some lies. Allegedly. You know, I don't want nobody, but basically they had made some, made up some stock tips um, in some article that um, they had published and ultimately they got sued because, uh, you know, once you mess with white people's money, you know, you're not going to get away with that. They don't play about and their money. Don't. And, um, you know, that went to court and the judge ordered the company to pay $1.5 million in restitution for the fraud case. So... That seems like a pretty good motive to me. Because, um, you know, Ray was a writer for that newsletter. I, I don't think he necessarily wrote that particular newsletter. But what I'm thinking is that, you know, since he's really good friends with Ray, he, I mean, excuse me, um, Ray's really good friends with Porter. Porter's the owner of that firm. He maybe came across some information he shouldn't have or something to that effect because you know 1.5 million dollars in restitution is not just y'all had to do some really illegal shit for them for you guys to be having to pay 1.5 million dollars like it's got to be pretty some like pretty shady underhanded stuff happening because that is a lot of money to have to pay in restitution Mm mm-hmm and you know, I'm guessing the firm is not. That Usually, big. pay money like that if somebody dies. Right. Yeah. So, like I said, once you mess with white people's money, um, you're gonna have to pay. So, um, also, um, something that was really strange as well was um, two weeks before Ray died, uh, in the middle of the night. The alarm system for his house um, that he shared, you know, with Ellison went off and like twice in twice in a row, like two nights in a row. And um, both times Ray came out with a baseball bat and he like Allison said that he was very, very, very scared. And, you know, she said that she's never seen him so scared of anything in his life, you know, like, yeah, the alarm went off. You know, which is, you know, 
of course, if your alarm goes off in the middle of the night, it is a scary thing. But she said that he looked so frightened and shook up about it. Like she was like really concerned. And um, the police looked into it, but mm, you know, the police does what yeah. the does. And yeah. they said it was probably just a squirrel, which is strange because the alarm had gone off at a window so I don't know how squirrels do that but anyway so you know that is a very strange thing um, to happen twice in a row two nights and then for that reaction that he had and then two weeks later he's dead you know that doesn't seem like coincidence to me you know um that's really scary and um basically i just my theory is that ray probably uh found out or knew something or i don't know i feel like he was gonna blow the whistle or something like that um pertaining to this law firm i mean excuse me to this finance firm and unfortunately you know um the circumstance that was that you know he died and it's still unsolved as of what I know right now um yeah so that's basically um the case for Ray and um they have at the each at the end of each episode they put up um you know a number so you can contact if you have any tips or if you have any more information but you know yeah this is one of the most strangest um cases i've come across um that has to be involved with true crime because it's like nothing really adds up but there's literally no information other than what we just i just told you (sighs) it's really wild to me like i think that the way he ended up where he ended up was very strange um to me it was staged I don't know how you feel about it or the way you if you have a theory or something like that as far as the way Ray passed away so I mean you know I do because I'm a true crime aficionado (laughs) um but the thing that was strange to me is that his friend knew he was a writer and he knew that he liked writing and I think that maybe with Ray, what was his friend's name again? Porter. Okay, sorry. Porter. Because um, I wanted to make sure I get it right because y'all know I do not be knowing people's names. <laughs> um, so it was just really strange to me that Porter picked Ray to be like, hey, you know, you're a good friend. You need some money. Why don't you come and work for me a little bit? I think he was already doing some really shady stuff Mm -hmm. in the middle of this. I think he already was. And what happened was he, I have two ideas. Either he was going to try and get Ray in the mix of it Mm because Ray had found out something and Ray was like, no, this is not right. I Mm -hmm. don't I don't associate with stuff like this. Mm -hmm. I'm not a bad person. I don't do bad shit like this. And they killed him. Or 
it was Ray found out something that he wasn't supposed to find out. But it's just weird because why invite him to come and work? It sounds like either way, he used that man as a pawn to do whatever he was trying to get done with that newsletter and with like whatever else Ray was a part of, like with his own job there specifically mm-hmm. like I feel like he was using Ray because I think Ray considered him more of a friend than he did to Ray I really do because I mean the, he Ray had this man in his wedding like he was one of his grooms in his mm-hmm. damn wedding and mm-hmm. so I think that Ray genuinely thought that that man was his friend and that man was not and maybe he was at some point, but he got lost in the sauce. And this is all just speculation. I don't have mm-hmm. any proof. I just want to preface this for everyone out there listening. Like, I'm, I don't know anything. I only know what the viewers know. But mm-hmm. I think that, I think he used that man. And I just feel like he got pulled into something that he shouldn't have been pulled into because he didn't even want to do that. He didn't even like that job. He was just trying to make sure he could get some money and Mm -hmm. move back to California and take care of his, his wife. They were going to try and start a family. And I don't know. They seem that they seemed like a solid couple. Mm -hmm. I would think that she would know if something was up. It just seemed like, they had their shit together as a couple. They seemed to love each other very, very much. Mm-hmm. So I just, I don't know. And they had supportive family. So I just, I don't know. It just feels really weird. I don't think that he committed suicide. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think that he was involved in anything bad. I think he got pulled into it. He didn't want to be into it. He probably wanted to expose them for what they were doing. And they killed him. And because that's something, it happens all the time to people. So, yeah. That was my theory. I was just watching it with my eyes narrowed, like, mm mm. You done killed this man. Yeah, because. But like I said, allegedly, <laughs> these are just thoughts. Yeah, these are just theories, y'all. Um, but. Unfortunately, these are theories on, but you know, like we said, true crime. True, these are real people's lives, which is unfortunate because you know Allison. She seems like even to this day, she seems she's really like broken up about his death. You know, mm-hmm. she's still very much affected. So, hopefully, somebody out there has more information. You know, because that man deserves justice. Because once you involve, like I said, white people's money, shit starts getting real, 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 real serious. You know, people will do all sorts of dumb and crazy shit to try to keep some little bit of money. You know what I'm saying? So, um, it does seem like Ray may have come across something he wasn't supposed to or allegedly his friend Porter may have maybe overconfided in him. Maybe he thought Ray 
was with the shits like him and you Maybe know, told so. him some stuff. Yeah, told him something and Ray was kind of like, all right, first of all, I don't even like this job. I don't even want to be a finance dude or whatever. And so he's like, I'm out or something like that. Maybe he, Ray was kind of like just, you know, trying to leave or quit or, you know, not even threatening him or anything. And, you know, you know, Porter felt threatened, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, he has a company. He, I'm sure he has money. And, you know, I don't know. He probably didn't do it himself, but he probably had, you know, maybe somebody else, you know, some hitman or whatever hitman. Um, you know, kill Ray, but you know that's all speculation. But um, yeah, it's really unfortunate. In cause oh god, his injuries were so gruesome. Yeah, and it just didn't match up with how they were trying to cover it up. You know, um, so I could only imagine what Ray went through, and I really hope, like I said, you know, this show. Supposedly, I was reading that um, for a lot of these cases, um, they had already started getting a lot, a lot of tips. So hopefully this will get Ray um, some justice and his family some, you know, some peace. Uh, Do you have anything else to add or for Ray? Um, Just that, you know... My heart really goes out to his family, especially his wife, because mm-hmm. this is like a nonstop thing. I know that she's trying to find out information. I can't even imagine how it would be if I were in her shoes. I don't think mm-hmm. I would ever sleep trying to figure out what happened to him. Mm-hmm. But I, I do appreciate because people like to rag on shows like this and they like to rag on, you know, true crime shows that have mysteries that happened and nobody saw the case but what happens is when you have shows like this they kind of expose it and they put it back out there and it gets attention and Mm -hmm. helps a lot of people out that's like you know when you see stuff on twitter and a perfect example um is there's a story and it kind of reminded me of ray's or Ray reminded, when I was watching Ray, it reminded me of this story. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you know about it, too, where the, that black mother was at the slumber party with all oh those God, other yes. white parents. Mm-hmm. And she, they said that she fell from the balcony. Mm-hmm. They said it was a accidental but the bruises on her body were inconsistent of a fall it, very inconsistent and and her name was Tamla Horsford I had to I was trying to remember her name Tamla Horsford and um they what they said was she was kind of intoxicated and she fell over the balcony while everyone was asleep mm-hmm nobody heard that shit nobody you kidding me and one of the the mothers her brother works for the police department so they like kind of swept it under the rug and it's like Mm -hmm. apparently a really a really racist neighborhood and it's not very many black families 
Mm-hmm. And they were new. So, of course, she was trying to find friends. Mm-hmm. And she went to the sleepover. And anyway, it reminded me of that because the consistencies of, like, her body being bruised up. Like, she had been battered and also assaulted. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't add up with her falling out. But what I wanted to say was they put it out there I remember when they put it out there on Twitter and I wouldn't have known about it if it weren't for Twitter and it started to circulate and they had to reopen the case and that's Mm -hmm. what I'm saying that's what I was getting to like doing this exposes it and it'll help reopen the case and we because we want people want to have justice Mm -hmm. you just want to know like yeah, he's dead, and it was a horrible way that he died, but there is something very freeing about just knowing who did it, how they did it, why they did it. It gives you mm-hmm. some sort of peace, I imagine it would. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah because, um, you know, the government, they, they work for us, not the other way around. We pay taxes. It's supposed to be like that. Yeah. Right. That's how it's supposed and to be. And I think people forget that. And um, I feel like... Because the government does, you know... Um, try to, you know, manipulate us and control us and treat us like goddamn shit. And um, we tend to forget that, you know, we're the ones with power. We're the ones that actually run shit. So... You know, um, we, you know, the police work for us. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I know they're terrorists and they have to be defunded. But um, if we want these cases reopened and looked into, uh, they will do it. They will have to do it if enough of us make enough noise and, you know, inquire about it. That's why it's so important for things like this. And, you know, like you said, that case, you know, um, with the petitions, um, you know, they get passed around, they get signed, you know, you know, people tweet the, you know, the, what's it called, the, the handle of the police station, and, you know, it, it just overwhelms them. So they're like, you know, quote unquote, to try to sh- get us to shut up, they start looking into the case again. So that's basically what this show is trying to do with some of these cases is you know reignite the public's interest because um, sometimes it gets talked about but you know in this format it's a little different because you're you know like I said I'm watching this um, wife Allison this widow and she's just like you know completely distraught you know and it's different mm-hmm. hearing uh, Ray's story from her um, perspective and, you know, his family's perspective other than, you know, maybe uh, us or some uh, another podcast or host, you know, it's different because they hold real emotion and um, emotional attachment to the victim. So it's quite different and it uh, affects the public more. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to say about that. And, uh, We'll go ahead and move on to the next case. This one. Hmm. I. <laughs> Hopefully I don't get off too off tangent and I 
focus because this one pissed me off. They're all very infuriating because, you know, obviously someone um, did something malicious to these people. And of course, we want to. And they didn't deserve it. Right. Of course, you know, nobody deserves to get murdered in this manner. But Mm -mm. this is. This. Because this one made me mad because it involves a child and then a grown ass man. But anyway, we'll go ahead and talk about this. Um, Episode two is called 13 Minutes. Um, On April 15th, 2004, uh, Patrice, um, which is the victim of this case, uh, she dropped her son off at school. Um, His name is Pistol. And um, she headed off to work. You know, as usual, she's a a hairstylist. I believe that was her salon. Yeah. So she had been working as a hairstylist for quite a bit of time. And, you know, eventually she uh, was able to have her own salon. And, um, you know, uh, Pistol was just in school, you know, as usual, nothing unusual. But then in the middle of the day, um, he was called out of class and um, he was taken to the principal's office and he was asked, you know, uh, have you spoken to your mother? Um, have you heard from her? And you know, mm. like, you know, no, like, you know, what's, you know, what's going on? Um, uh, and they had him right there and then call his mother. Um, she didn't answer. Um, and, you know, which was strange because Patrice, you know, he's pistol said that, um, usually if, um, she didn't answer right away usually she would call back um, in a few minutes or something like that but um, yeah um, like I said she had worked uh, in other people's salons but eventually uh, you know she was able to save up money and you know run her own hair salon which is the hair salon where she had um, disappeared from and um, uh, uh, Patrice um met her uh, current husband uh, Rob at that hair salon and uh, he was getting a haircut Um, she was 30 and he was 50 so there's that Um, this is important because we're going to talk about Rob later on Um, Mm -hmm. uh, a client is the one who called the police um and inquired about Patrice, you know, not being at the salon, basically, um, she was missing. Uh, you know, the client had a appointment with Patrice, she wasn't there, nobody was there, you know, the place seemed very strange, you know, um, just empty, basically. And the police showed up um, to the salon, Patrice's salon, and they found Patrice's food by the microwave so it seemed like she was about to just um heat up her food and eat and um also the cash register was open there was no cash in the register um but other than that nothing really seemed disturbed like the salon hadn't been ransacked or you know disturbed like it didn't look like a crime scene basically but things some things were off and um Rob, of course, uh, Patrice's husband, uh, is informed that Patrice, you know, is missing, basically. And um, 
he shows up to the salon and the police, you know, right away were like, we need to interview you because usually in cases of missing women or women who are murdered, the first suspect is the husband or the woman's um, significant other because men are trash and they like to take out, you know, their shit on uh, women. So that's why immediately they wanted to talk to Rob. Um, and they take him to the station and they interview him or whatever. Um, as far as the crime scene, the only thing that seemed out of place was that um, when some somebody, like a, a witness, has seen her car um, was not in her usual spot. A car was kind of almost parked in front of the salon, kind of blocking the entrance, which was weird. She always um, parked her car uh, at the side of the salon, so when she gets out, she could just get in her car real quickly. And um, it seemed that she had... Um, picked up a phone call at the salon at 11.37 a.m. And then she got another phone call later on at 11.50 a.m. And she didn't pick up. It just, you know, rang and rang and rang and rang. So basically within those 13 minutes, uh, they had theorized that something had happened. Um, and uh, throughout this episode... Um, of course, they're talking to Patrice's loved ones and stuff, and um, most of her friends describe Rob as overly protective and jealous. Um, and Pistol, um, Patrice's son, says that he didn't understand, you know, Rob didn't understand why Patrice gave her son so much attention, which just blew my mind like girl <laughs> your stepdad doesn't understand why you his wife is giving her son so much attention mind you rob uh excuse me pistol at the time's like 15 so he's still a child mm-hmm Rob, a grown-ass man, like I said, 50, Patrice is 30, is jealous of Patrice's son. Mm-hmm. And, um... Mm-hmm. Rob says, alleged that Patrice and Rob never argued, but Pistol says that's untrue, you know, um, that they argued all the time, basically. And one of Patrice's friends says that Patrice uh, told her that she was unhappy around the time that she had disappeared and that she was thinking of getting a divorce from Rob. And, um, you know, a few friends confirmed this. And coincidentally, Rob denies that Patrice was trying to get a divorce. Like, he said it was so much confidence, which blows my mind. Like, sir... If your wife is thinking of giving a divorce from you, she's not, if it's in the initial stage, right, she ain't happy, and she's not going to tell you, oh, I'm thinking of getting a divorce. It's something that you have to figure out on your own. So this bitch, oh, I can't 
stand him. I can't stand him. Now. I hate this man. I hate this man. It's it's one of those things like even if he didn't do it, I don't even care because I don't like him. Correct. That's what I told that I just, one. I, was I like, just don't like him. I if even if you know he's innocent, which he claims he is, and they haven't, but whatever. I do not like this man. But anyway, this, and I'll tell you exactly why I don't like this man. So, Patrice is Missy. Pistol, of course, her son is like, you know, I'm, I can only imagine the way he's feeling hurt, um, confused. Like I said, he's 15. This man, Rob, locked the doors and changed the locks and wouldn't give Pistol any clothes after Patrice went missing. He is 15 years old. And he changed the locks and wouldn't let him in the house. That's his fucking stepdad. And Rob said he took precautions. Because... A teenager. His mother's missing. Dead. Sir, you have a, a responsibility to this boy. What the fuck do you think you're doing? Let's just say you didn't like this boy. He, I mean, we don't... You know, teenagers are probably... You know, they tend to be unbearable. You know, they're unlikable sometimes. But they're teenagers. They're kids. You don't fucking lock them out of where they live while their mom is fucking missing. Are you stupid? Are you sick also, in the fucking head? yes, teenagers are unbearable. But that's teenagers. That's how they're supposed to be. Correct. There's, their brains are still developing. It's a very confusing time. A lot of stuff is happening. We've all been teenagers. I know that teenage me would get on adult me's nerve. I, nerves. I know that. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're a teenager. You think differently. You do things differently. So the fact that he was actually like talking about this kid like he was another man, a mortal enemy of his, from the jump that didn't sit right for me with me of course pistol ain't gonna like you like it's been him and his mama all his life he's a kid it's just been the two of them and then you come in and you're trying to alter stuff and change stuff around and make these new rules and be like who are you you ain't my daddy you don't you don't come in here and do that so the, of course he gonna push give you pushback but it's your job as an adult to be an adult and talk right. to him and try to right. find balance in this. It, the relationship doesn't have to be perfect, but there needs to be like a mutual respect there. And he was literally talking about Pistol like he was a grown man. Like, yeah, he had problems and he was always getting in trouble. But then when everybody else was talking about Pistol, they weren't saying those things. Mm-mm. Everybody um, that was in the documentary that was a loved one of um, Patrice. They really didn't speak on Pistol. They all spoke on Rob. So, who am Mm -hmm. I going to believe? Not your raggedy ass. Because you're biased, of course. And even if Pistol was, you know, over 18, what you did was still raggedy. His mom is missing. They don't know if she's dead or not. Like, what the fuck? What kind of... That is some psychopath shit. Yes. You don't have to be like, 
console him. I mean, that's the least you could have done, but I mean, if you're that fucking raggedy, you didn't have to try to be his dad or anything, but I mean, the fuck? Like, your wife is missing, his mom's missing, like, what, what, what's not clicking? And then the fact that he's a child, which is just yeah, heinous. And um, if you lock me out of my house after my mom goes missing, you lock me out. I'm be like, he did this shit. Absolutely, doesn't make <laughs> you look good at all, at Mm-mm. all. And um, you know, it's just what he did to Pistol was very ugly. Yes. Like, you're the adult in this situation and you're acting like you're a fucking teenager. Like, y'all are... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, if y'all were siblings and you locked them out of the house or some shit like that. Like... Oh, my God. That... Bl- made my... My blood boil. I was... I was... At that point, I already knew what I knew... Uh, had felt about mm-hmm. Rob and his stance, you know. Allegedly, he did it. But anyways... Um, also, Rob has known Pistol since he was eight. And Patrice disappeared when he was 15, 16. Yes, that's a long time. How do you have that much resentment for an eight-year-old up until he's 15, 16? Just being hostile and ugly. Like, you just show up and you just... You're just like, this kid is my enemy, and he's a little kid. That's crazy. He really That's his mama. Like, of course he ain't yeah. gonna like you. That's his damn mama. I mean, in Most seven, of us are protective of our mothers. So, like... Right. I understand if they had that static when they first met each other or something like that. Because it's like, I don't know you, motherfucker. Like, the fuck? You were here trying to be with my mama or whatever. But you mean to tell me y'all have been in each other's lives in each other's lives for seven years and you still haven't developed some sort of He never tried to bridge a a, a gap or Yeah as work a, on a relationship with him or anything. No. Not even nothing. not even as a not even as a dad, just like maybe like a trusted adult in his life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I if I had a stepkid, I would be just a righty ass person if I didn't try to build some sort of relationship with the child. Oof. But anyways. Another suspect that they had was a man named Jeremy Jones. Um and he was a suspect because he confessed to killing Patrice. You know, it came out of nowhere. But ultimately, he recanted his confession. So, you know, the police could not link him link him to any evidence to her murder. So they had to let him go. <sighs> Which was very strange. Um, I don't know why he would do that. Um, but he was, like, he was an offender. But I don't know if he was coerced or something, but he was put in the in that episode of the docuseries. But I don't think he had anything to do with it, um, according to the police. And um, twenty minutes, bleh, twenty months after Patrice's disappearance, um, unfortunately, they found her remains. 
um, the remains were found by a Baptist church that was literally six miles away from her hair salon. So it was very, very close proximity from where she had initially disappeared from. Um, and this is the crazy part to me. Um, the day oh that Patrice, my God. the day that Patrice went missing, Rob literally had a timestamp receipt for some gas that he had gotten at a gas station. You know, he was just like adamant. He said, "I was in Woodstock, forty-five minutes away from Patrice Salon, which is impossible me for me to com- commit the murder. It's still impossible." You know, and she he was giving like all these numbers and statistics and all this shit. I was like. Mm. You thought there was something very just much. like yeah there was just something v- about him he was just very arrogant he mm-hmm. just kind of like alright yeah he moved he moved and he spoke like with the confidence of a white man because he's mm-hmm. a white man mm-hmm. but it was I can't explain it it was different it was one of those things like y'all are never gonna catch me Cause he just talked so freely like he didn't care he didn't care about patrice he didn't care about pistol it just it's just how it seemed it just really seemed like he genuinely didn't give a damn and his yeah he did speak with confidence in some when he talked about the timestamp receipt which is like Mm -hmm. When I get gas and I get a receipt, I never get a receipt, first of all. But anyways, if I have no. a receipt, and I just... And if I do, I throw it away. Yeah, so for you to have that shit, like, in pristine condition, and, oh, here it is. Look at it. It's like... Mm-hmm. That seems like premeditation, allegedly. But, um, you know, it is still possible that he hired a hitman. Which is what I'm thinking. I think that he... I think he got somebody to do it. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, money literally makes people go crazy. And hitmen, like... uh, You know, uh, from what we see from movies, you know, hitmen are, you know, these super (laughs) um, professional and, you know, skilled people and they get paid like millions no like in real life hitmen are like just regular ass motherfuckers from the street and they Mm -hmm. get paid like shit five hundred dollars or some measly ass amount like yeah and they're willing to take somebody's life for some fucking half of rent money or some shit like that so and rob i don't know what rob did but he had I think he's the owner or something or something like that. I don't know. But, I mean, it was in Georgia. I'm sure someone was in need for some money or desperate enough to do whatever for whatever reason. But, you know, if money is, you know, put in their face. So it's still very possible that he hired somebody to do it. And um, he was also... Like Davlin said, the way he talked about Patrice was mind-blowing. He talked about Patrice like... He said... um, He was talking about like the time frame for her disappearance. um, Because in some instances, he would talk with confidence like, 
it wasn't me. Look at this receipt. Like, you know, like very mm-hmm. boastful and things like that. But then also sometimes he was like super fucking jittery. Like his body language was like red, just guilty as hell. Like he would stutter like shit. And like he would literally, his hands were literally like shaking. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with this motherfucker? But anyways, um, he was talking about Patrice and he said, um, they asked him about Patrice, um, and he was like, well, I don't know. I don't know what could have happened. Maybe she was someone's toy for a while. Girl, when he said that, I was like, you killed this lady. You did it. You may not have directly done it. But you, you, you know what happened to her. The fact that you can say something like that, I just thought that was so disrespectful. You were married to this lady. You're supposed to love her. I literally got like goosebumps all over my body. I was so angry. I was so disturbed. That's so ugly to say something. Yes. Of someone. Like, I wouldn't even say that about someone I don't know, let alone my wife. What the fuck? Nah, something's wrong with that. So messed up. Maybe she was someone's toy for a... Sir. Sir. Mm Mm-hmm. Why the fuck did he get on this docuseries talking like that? Girl, this is what I want to know. Because I was just like, if you, dude, if you didn't do it, you're not really selling your case that good. Because you look you look, and you sound like you Crazy. had something to do with this lady, like, dying. And the fact, like, that you locked the sun out. Girl, you ain't even tell him about the, the ashes. You ain't even tell him about that. That's next. But that line in particular, because he said a lot of dumb shit, but that line in particular, oh my God, Devlin, when I tell you, I had to pause really quickly because I was like, I don't believe this shit. That is so demented. It was a wild episode, like really and truly. It was, that episode was really wild to me because I was just like, I don't even know how this man is still here talking and he's not in jail. I don't get it. There's a running theme in these in these episodes. It's like mm-hmm. police incompetence. Like that's the running theme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, shit. But um, it gets even stranger with this man Rob. Um, of course they find Patrice's remains. You know, and it, uh, by the way, they're skeletal remains. They're, there's nothing left of her. Unfortunately, like, um, she was completely decomposed down to the bone. Um, Rob asked the funeral home to arrange Patrice's skeletal remains in the most precise anatomical way possible. So, like, instead of, like, having her, um, set up, like, in a casket, um, he had them lay her bones out like anatomically um and uh he said 
he picked up her skull and carried <sighs> carried the skull around for a bit. Like he was like walking around with her skull under his like arm. And see, when he was talking like that, I was like, it made it seem like he did do it. Because for him to walk around like that, it was like, at this point, it's a power trip. Because he's walking around like, well, I won because I'm walking around with the skull of your, with your skull. Like, clearly I won. That's how I took it. I didn't take it as I was sad and I just wanted her body. Mm-hmm. With, cause, okay, because, like, why? The way, he, the way he said it, it seemed like everyone said possessive, controlling. Mm-hmm. It was all about control. Power. Because mm-hmm. although I could kind of understand laying out the remains, like, anatomically, so you could, like, just have something you know her some part of her to um say your goodbyes to but then picking up that skull and the way he described it it was oof the way i just imagined in my mind i was like you you need to stop talking if you want to get Mm -hmm. away with it and then um he also mentioned that when she was cremated, he would sleep with the ashes. Uh, yes, girl. Which, very strange. Again, mm-hmm. control. But the thing he said, he just keeps saying more awful things, y'all. He said, she was like my teddy bear. I hate this mess so much. Yeah. Um, Because even before we get to the point where we're like, this man did it. I mean, I already thought that when the show started, but I always think that, and I'm always right. Um, So I I had already thought that. But like when they, because Unsolved Mysteries does this story format where they tell you, oh, such and such, she disappeared, and everyone is sad, and... You're like, okay, we're 15 minutes in, so what's about to happen? And mm-hmm. then you find out that her husband, Rob, he's very controlling. Um, he's way too old to be with her. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't like her son. Mm-hmm. It got to a point where she felt like she was caged. She couldn't do mm-hmm. anything. She couldn't go anywhere. She couldn't even enjoy time with her son. Because there was mm-hmm. always conflict there. So it was just like this this very controlling man mm-hmm. who did not like the fact that he came second to her son. And he wanted to hurt. He wanted to hurt Pistol. I really think he did. If there was no... Because I feel like if there was no animosity with him and Pistol... And he had killed her. He would have at least let that boy have his mama's ashes. Yes. Um, like, I'm he, not I'm not trying to spoil anything. I'm going to let you... I'm going to let 
uh, Jordan continue to tell that, but there was just, it was just very, his hatred was very pointed when it came to Pistol. He did things that were very, very nasty and mean. And it just, it was just like, you just wanted to hurt him. Had she wanted to leave him and there were no kids involved, he probably would have been like, all right, fine, bye. Something about, it was the hatred for that little boy. It, it, it just, it, that's how I took it. I'm listening to it. Everybody is talking about how him and Pistol don't get along with each other. But they're talking about how he's very controlling. And I'm listening to Pistol talk about how he don't like how close they are. I really feel like he was just like, I'm going to get the upper hand in this. And had mm-hmm. her killed and blocked pistol from a lot of mm-hmm. things. Um, you know, I just think the motivation was her trying to leave him. People who are controlling, especially men. I mean, women don't leave them. You know what I'm saying? That's a blow to their ego. That's a blow to your whatever. Um their fragile ass masculinity so um you know i believe she he did something to patrice because he knew that she was about to leave him at any point but um yeah because just with all this crazy ass behavior these things he's saying on the docuseries like for us to hear that that this clearer possession and control that he still has over her after her death which is wild to me like he's not letting this lady rest basically Mm -hmm. and um he's showing us the ashes but he has them literally tucked away in a storage closet in the plastic bag in a plastic ass bag like like a ziploc bag Right, like it's not like he has it in some urn, like that's decorative or something like that, you know, so he could have some sort of uh, have her close by or something. It's like tucked away, like I don't know, like when you put away your coats and stuff in the summer, like literally, that's how he had her ashes, and he tried to get fake emotional and start crying. Bitch, get the fuck out of here. You're not a good actor. I don't see it for you. And um, he's over there just looking at the ashes and patting them like it's fucking like sawdust or whatever. He was like, yes, I am very protective of Patrice. I have her. He literally said, I have her. Mm-hmm. And he said, I will never share these a- these ashes with with anybody, particularly Pistol. So this grown ass man couldn't let this boy her only son have the ashes this boy has known yep. his mother his entire life you just came into the picture and you couldn't let him have the ashes electric chair Devlin when I say he needs to go And like I said, people, I don't know if he did it or not. But his behavior is ugly. I don't like him. He needs to get the fuck out of here. It's just so very... 
it's his behavior is really just so very much just I'm running this. I'm in control. Ha ha, nanny nanny boo boo. I got mm-hmm. the ashes. You don't. Ha ha ha. Like Pistol's a grown man now. He's a grown ass man, and this man is still holding on to this lady's ashes. He's still holding on to pictures. Like Pistol don't have nothing. He don't have nothing that belongs <gasps> oh my God, to his right. mother. He has, has all the nothing. fucking pictures. No photos. He don't have a t-shirt to hold on to remember her by. Like, he don't have nothing. He, the day, the day that lady's body turned up, he locked him out of the house. Like, the same day. He found out his mama was dead. They came and picked him up from school, told him his mama was dead. He was locked out of the house. He didn't have no clothes. He didn't have anything. Like nothing. He had nothing. So this man has all her pictures. The pictures of her. The pictures of Pistol. Like he got. He has everything. Everything. He will not see heaven. That man will not see heaven. Absolutely not. Straight to hell. Straight. They got a seat ready for you. He needs to go to Hades because that's it. How do you treat and you can, a, a and morning you can child see, like that? Yes. And when you see Pistol as an adult and he's talking about it, like you can see that he has struggled with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to come to terms with his mother dying. I don't think it's something that he'll ever... And I mean, obviously, like when you lose somebody you love, you don't ever get over it. But I don't think that there's something that he's ever going to find peace with in his life. Even Mm -hmm. when this man dies and he can go in the house and get the pictures, I don't think it'll ever be something that will settle. Like you can just tell that Pistol has struggled a lot in his life and he's had to deal with a lot from losing his mama and the way he lost her like you you just see it in his face and his eyes you can just see it and I just I was watching it and I just was just like I really hope wherever he's at he's okay that's the only thing that I kept thinking about whenever he would talk because I know that that shit is eating at him he can't even get a picture of his mom we don't even talk about the ashes. Let's not even talk about the ashes. We're not even going to go there. This man has, like, all their f- pictures. Ain't no telling what he doing in that house with that stuff. He was acting like Pistol... He was acting like he was fighting a man for a woman. Like, to right. date. Like, two grown men fighting over women. Not her son. Like, that's how he acted. And it's so fucked up that just because they were in a marriage, like, he literally has all rights over Patrice, which... It really is. It's unfair. Which is the main, you know, basically, like I said uh, previously, um, usually uh, the men in the women's wives who are victimized, they're usually the perpetrators, somebody close to them. Um, And clearly... Rob was very controlling, even to this date. Mm-hmm. When I tell y'all this episode pissed me off, y'all, I can't 
stand rub. He is mm, the worst type of person. The worst. Hopefully, Patrice gets some justice and somebody goes to the jail. I demand it. Somebody needs to. We know who, but we I'm not going to say it because, you know, um, we can't be out here slanderous. But I can say that Rob is a foul human being. He is just, it's just, it's just his personality, you know, it, it, erasing the fact that it's a possibility that he has something to do with Patrice being murdered. It's just the way he acted and the way he talked. And I don't like the way he talked about Pistol, even with Pistol as an adult. I still didn't like it because it's just like, that's that boy's mama. His mama was murdered. He didn't have nobody else. It was literally just them two before you came in the picture. Mm-hmm. And even um, Pistol's dad, um, uh, he... His reactions, the way he talked about Patrice was literally day and night to the way Rob yes. referred to as Patrice. Like, you could tell. Yeah. Um, I'm, so, I, I'm sorry, I didn't get his name, but Rob Pistol's dad, which is, um, of course, um, the person he, uh, you know, Patrice used to have relations with. Um, he was very distraught. You know, you could see that it had affected him um, truly. And not, like, you know, trying to put on an act or whatever. And, and you know, he didn't speak about Patrice in the manner that Rob did. So it was literally day and night. Like, I don't know why Rob tried to get up here on this goddamn TV show that he knew was going to come out on Netflix. And try to act like he even cared about Patrice. Like, it's wild to me. And He didn't that he care. Did. I'm telling you, that man was so arrogant and, like, wildly confident. It was unnerving how confident he was when he spoke. And I think, to me, allegedly, everybody, when he was talking, it was one of those things where he was like, well, they're not going to catch me. And there's nothing that any of you can do anything about. You can't do anything about it. Oh, well. The fact that you have this lady ashes in like a Ziploc bag. I'm going to think off top that you did it. Walking around with her skull. You don't Locking the have... son out from the house. Not letting him even get access to put clothes on his back. A picture. A picture a picture he has nothing that boy got nothing of his mama at least be like here's a picture now to get the hell on don't bother me or some shit like that <sighs> Rob has to go I don't care what who really did or whatever yeah. but fuck him jail fuck his whole ancestry can't stand him yeah <sighs> but um one of the um, witnesses, I think there's two witnesses who said that they saw like a blue car, like a sedan, 
uh, parked in front of uh, Patrice's salon, like in that 13 minute window of when she first answered the phone and the second time a phone call was made and she didn't answer. Um, so that was vital. Um, they weren't sure what kind of the model was. Um, some say it was like a Ford Taurus, I believe. And some will say another uh, model, but um, I think that's the key to finding out who did it because um, it was, like I said, parked in front of the salon very strangely and it was during that 13-minute window uh, time frame where um, it was um, theorized that uh, Patrice was probably um, attacked. So um, mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully, hopefully somebody has given the police some good tips and Patrice can get some peace and hopefully get some justice for Pistol and uh, us because fuck that man but yeah it's really messed up it made me think about Carol Baskin and how she was like I never even had a funeral (laughs) and the family was like oh (laughs) y'all I'm sure y'all know, but we're going to update y'all at the end of this episode. <laughs> what's happening? I know. She going to no, be on ma'am. TV again, but I we ain't watching it. I know that. No, ma'am. Not, I don't feel like getting possessed by that creature through the TV. And I don't even care about that show. No, but anyway, the next episode yeah, is also very infuriating because it's about another man. Who had no business doing what the fuck he was doing. But anyways, um, it's episode three called Has, excuse mm-hmm. me, House of Terror. Um, this is not a local or um, in the U.S. Uh, a case. This is in, oof, I don't know. Please do not judge me, y'all. I don't know how to say this. Not, none? Not. None. France. It's over there in France, y'all. Um... It takes place in 2003. Um, so this family friend uh, who was a seamstress and worked for the family, um, one day she saw that the shutters of her employers were closed. And just from that, she knew something was wrong because they were always open. Uh, it seems like a little bit of a stretch, but she felt very strongly about this. Um, so she called the police and she wanted them to do a wellness check on them, the family. And for some reason, the police obliged, um, which was strange to me, but I don't know how things go over there in France. But anyway, um, they went to the house and they didn't uncover anything unusual. It was just dark. Nothing seemed out of place. It just seemed like the house was basically empty and the family was away and um a few days later um people close to this family i'm so sorry i forgot the i have the first names and stuff but let me look up sorry really quickly um the name of this family it's a really hard last name to say so I'm not going to say it correctly anyway but oh I don't know how to say it Hard. it doesn't say y'all sorry it just says French man um we'll get to it we'll get to it later um but while they were um the house was empty a few days later um 
letters from Agnes, which is the mother of the family, and Xavier, mm-hmm. which is the father of the family, started to come, go into friends and family. And the letters basically said that the family had moved to the U.S. because they were under witness protection, basically. Um, they were working for the DEA. Um, you know, they were helping a federal agency with the investigation. They were spies, you know, just something very strange for a letter to receive from a family member saying, hey, y'all, we moved to a completely different country. We're spies. We're helping the DEA. Um, that's why we're not home. And, um, yeah, basically, that's what the letters were um, coming in to friends and family, basically explaining their disappearance as to why they weren't there. Um, but a little bit of background, um, Xavier's dad was um, from a very prestigious uh, noble family. Um, he was like a, a count, I believe. That's what they um, referred him as. And um, Xavier met Agnes, um, but then he had left for a little while because um, he liked to travel. You know, he was an aristocrat, so, you know, he was always uh, traveling and, you know, just doing rich boy shit. And, um, but when he came <laughs> back, uh, he met, when he came back from his little trip or whatever, Agnes was pregnant by another man, but... Uh, despite that, uh, Xavier and Agnes still got married. Um, so that's a little bit of a background about them. And, you know, they got, of course, started their family. Um, and, uh, you know, Xavier and Agnes and the kids were still not back. Um, and despite the letters, uh, police returned for another wellness uh, check uh, two days later after the first one and um, they kept coming back. There was a fourth and a fifth wellness check. And it wasn't until the very last visit they they noticed something odd under the terrace of the home. So basically they were just checking inside the home, but nothing seemed off. Um, But they had like a little terrace under their house and it was kind of, they noticed something under the terrace which was um, dirt like something had been covered up and there was like dog bowls and just something seemed undisturbed under that terrace and ultimately um, they found bodies uh, which were wrapped in plastic bags and each uh, body had uh, some sort of religious item next to them like a rosary a religious statue um, etc and um, they had also found the dogs were also killed, those two of them, along with the bodies of um, the family. Uh, it was three boys and a girl and Agnes, which is the mom, and the two dogs. The only body that was missing was of Xavier. And of course, at that moment, you know, he became the prime suspect. His body's missing. I said before it's always usually the man in the family perpetrator so at this point um, we come to believe that he is a family annihilator and if you guys aren't familiar with family annihilators it was basically 
somebody in a family household um, who kills basically everybody in the family. Sometimes they kill themselves as well, uh, but sometimes mm-hmm. they just, you know, as a Xavier, they run off or um, try to start a new life or, you know, try to cover it up in some form. Um, it seemed like Xavier um, drugged the children with some sort of sleeping pill or something like that and then he killed them uh, with a gun um, to the head and it seemed that uh, he had attached the silencer to the gun because there was no disturbance from the neighbors and then um, they said Agnes which is the wife slept with the sleep apnea machine and um, from the machine they were able to determine that it stopped working at 3 a.m. so it seemed um, that's around the time he committed the murders so he probably stopped the machine um, and then killed her in the same manner as well Um, what was really unusual though is that he committed these crimes in the home but they could not find a single trace of blood in any of the bedrooms so I don't know how the fuck Mm, he did that to be honest Um, because even if there I mean obviously it was a gun there has to be some sort of blood spatter blood evidence or blood on something because a gunshot is not a clean death by any means Um, and even if you try to clean that up there would be some sign of a cleanup and they couldn't find anything so which I I don't know that was something that was very unusual to me about this case but um basically the police couldn't find zero trace evidence and um we come to have a little more background information as to maybe why Xavier's ragged ass committed this um horrible uh, massacre basically um at some point Xavier had moved the family to Florida uh, to chase the American dream um, didn't turn out well um, they had spent most of their money if not all trying to chase this dream I don't know if he was trying to start some business over here or whatever but um, ultimately they had to move back to France and um, they were still losing money when they got back to back home and uh, they started to get into debt and um Nobody knew this but Xavier because he was the one with the money, you know, he was an aristocrat or whatever. So um, it seems that he figured out that they were going into debt and he couldn't keep up with their lifestyle, which they were kind they weren't rich, but they were described as upper middle class. So um, a little more well off than most average people. And they couldn't keep up this lifestyle and keep up the appearances because, you know, um, the kids were in private schools, you know, you know, just shit that rich people, whatever, how they choose to live their life. And to this, this was like, I don't know, I guess embarrassing or shameful or some shit like that. So he felt like he had to kill his whole fucking family. (sighs) That seems like the motive because mm-hmm. they were broke which is fucking insane to me but 
Again. It's just crazy to me because he did that, but he didn't kill himself. Like, what? Right. Which is the infuriating part. Like, bitch, kill yourself if you think that like, shit's so, like, we're all broke. embarrassing. Right. <laughs> or shameful. Like, not just the family. It's you, too. So, why you didn't? But I think he did that to get insurance money. Well, I don't know about that. They didn't um, mention any insurance money on this. Uh, but I just feel like he just didn't want to get burdened with getting his family out of debt or maintaining a family because it was a pretty big family but you know it was was a lot of kids yeah it's just insane to me like and it's a whole different culture i mean obviously i can't relate being an aristocrat or whatever but i was gonna say that's rich white people problems because uh when we have money issues and debt issues it's not something where it's just like I guess I'll kill myself. It's a. I think it's just like a, a different thing. A different. It's a cultural thing, honestly. I mean, right. I is, grew up with people that don't have money, so. Right. So it's I like wouldn't understand. Shit. Yeah. So I wouldn't yeah. understand like, oh, we're in debt or we're broke. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a different. Yeah. Usually, uh, people who grew up without money don't really put money like that in that like don't put it up to a pedestal well it depends on the person Mm-mm. but like if I have to go bankrupt or whatever or you know file for bankruptcy it's not like an end all you know I'm gonna I don't know bounce back or I don't know what the fuck like I don't know but mm-hmm. you know being born rich and living rich your whole life and then all of a sudden seem, seemingly, seemingly um, having to go broke or live like regular ass motherfucker it might be like literally just the most awful thing to ever happen to them which is privilege but whatever yeah. um, The as police are, you know, trying to look for Xavier, you know, he's the most wanted person right now because, you know, he annihilated his whole family and they're, he's an aristocrat. It's an upper class uh, metal family. They're all white. So, of course, this is like a huge new story. Like, um, you know, it's basically a manhunt at this point. Um, they locate the police locate uh, Xavier's car outside of a like a hotel, and apparently this bitch, you know, he bought himself some time with the letters or whatever, but he was on the run, but not necessarily on the run. He was legit like on a road trip, like out whining and dining and shit, like with his credit card. Yep. Which is wild. Like, all these stories in the world, but, like, the audacity of men. Honestly. It's not like he was playing low. Like, he was out here buying meals, having glasses of wine. Like, literally, like, no guilty conscience. Like, he just killed his whole family. And his dogs. And he's over here, like... I mean, the whole family. The whole fucking family. And, um, the last time he was seen, 
uh, was on CCTV footage, um, and it was footage of him carrying like a large black bag that seemed like he was holding a rifle. That's what it seemed like, like the shape of the bag and stuff. Um, seemed like a like the gun he used to kill his family, and uh, he was seen walking with that bag into walking into like the forest because you know France over there um, has different um, terrain and stuff. They have mountains and they, but they also have forests. So um, he wasn't carrying much with him. It was just that bag and himself, and that's it. So it's like from that, it seemed like. People speculated that he went into the forest to finally, you know, kill himself, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And um, the, you know, police got a hold of the CCTV uh, footage, and they had like this big manhunt to look for him in the forest. And they looked in caves, and they looked everywhere, and they could not find him or a trace of his body or, you know, because they had, like I said, speculated that he had killed himself, so they were expecting to maybe find his body. But they did not. And that's literally the last time he was seen. Um, People, there have been eyewitness accounts that he has been seen in, like, other European countries. You know, he shaved his head and he grew a beard. And, I saw um, something that said that they saw him in Chicago. Like, someone thinks they saw him in Chicago. Oh, for real? How the fuck? Like, recently. How? Yeah. So, how did he even get over here? Yeah, because he's, like I said, he's wanted. So, I don't know how. That's strange. Oh, mm-hmm. that's weird. But, like, he's white. Like, his resources are unlimited. Um, this is true, too. Yeah, because um, his friend who had been on the series, he said that he has a very unordinary face. And he does, like, he looks like any old white man. Like, he doesn't have a very distinct face. He'll blend in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, if he shaved off his head, grew a beard or whatever, he doesn't draw attention. He's not, like, a huge guy. He's, like, very regular um, build, average build. So, um, it's very easy for him to fly under the radar unless you're looking for him like us mm-hmm. now that we've seen his face like if i see him out in public i'm gonna be like gotcha bitch but um yeah like he's he doesn't have a he's very regular looking so i think that's how he's been able to uh, um not get caught basically because as of right now he's literally a free man for killing his entire family feeling zero shame and acting in this manner Anyway, do you have anything to add to this trash-ass individual? Um, what I really have to add, like, my only comment is, like, what the fuck? I want to know. It has to be deeper than, oh, we're so poor, so I'm just going to kill my whole family. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking he linked up with somebody who's powerful because he is he's a powerful person he's like a duke right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i think that um he linked up with i was gonna say i think that i think that he linked up with someone 
that was powerful. And they were like, we'll clear your debt. We'll clear your money. Fix your family name. Because another thing is they mentioned the fact that this lady, she was just a regular, regular, schmegular lady that he liked. Mm -hmm. And she had had a baby out of wedlock by another man and he chose to marry her and they made a point to mention that mm-hmm. um like it that was something that was frowned upon especially with his status mm-hmm. um that he married somebody who had a baby by another man and she was a single mom they talked about how that was something that was frowned upon but he was okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that they were like, in order to clear this up and start over, you have to kill his whole family and you have to kill your whole family and start all over again. We're going to give you some money. We're going to get you some setups, some links, and you're going to be good to go. And that's going to be it. Because even if he did this and he did all this by himself they would have caught him so somebody had to help him do something either that or he like in the kgb or something either he a spy or he had help from somebody mm-hmm. to do this to clear his name and get this money and i think the, the price was you have to kill your whole family in order to start all over again and be okay because some in the milk there's something there in that story that's missing. There's like a chunk missing. I really feel like somebody was helping him do this. There's no way. There was no blood. There was no sign of any violence. There was no sign of any blood. No gunshots. Anything. Nothing. Yeah. And also, um, like we mentioned his family was quite big it was his wife um his two sons and his daughter two daughters two daughters two sons i believe yeah yes it was two boys two girls Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it was five of them do you know how much work that is like dead body one dead body is heavy as shit it doesn't matter i'm sorry it was three boys and one girl Oh, okay. Um, but yes, yeah, still same same number. But yeah, so five bodies. Mm-hmm. That is work. Yeah. Dead dead body That's weight dead is no weight. joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and for him to carry them from that house all the way down there and then bury them no. No, 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 no. And then for nobody to see. Mm mm. Yeah, I feel like he didn't have many money, but I feel like with his t- title still, he still had some like connections and he had, he had pull. Yeah, mm-hmm. somebody had helped him for some reason, but um, I mean, ultimately, I think it it was basically all his idea to annihilate his family because he just didn't want to deal with um. Uh, providing for them basically it's just easier to provide for himself basically 
Yeah. Which he didn't want that burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, it's really messed up. So, uh, I hope they catch this bitch. Um, he has to go to, uh, yeah, that is the episodes I'm going to talk about, or I talked about, and uh, that one's gonna, uh, take care of the other, what is it, other three? Yes, I absolutely am. (laughs) 